You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I am Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up dubious advice and solid television and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. Indeed, we do. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists, but we are real TV and movie critics. So, Rafer... Let's get this thing started with a letter from bum, 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 bah, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be darned. Emily, in quotes, says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I just got a great job in Alabama, and I'm relocating there from the West Coast. Aside from studying abroad for one year, I have lived my whole life in Southern California. My very liberal family wonders how I will do 2,000 miles away in a region with a very different political landscape. I'm really open to exploring new places and meeting new people, and it doesn't really bother me when other people don't share my political, social, and cultural points of view. As a biracial female engineer, I'm used to being in the minority on most things. That said, can you offer any recommendations on movies and TV shows that will help me learn more about Alabama and about the South? Maybe something that will make the culture shock a little less intense? Emily, first and foremost... Huge congratulations. Uh, yes. This sounds like a fantastic opportunity. I wonder if you're going to be working at the NASA base there, because when I think of engineers and I think Alabama, that's what I think of. What about you? I've never thought of, I've never put the words engineers and Alabama together in my entire life. How did you even know this, Kristen? What? You, this is a thing? What? Do you know this? You've never heard of the NASA Marshall Space? Space Flight Center. Oh, right. Is that in Alabama? In Huntsville, Alabama, yes. I mean, there's NASA all over Florida, where I lived. Uh, so when yes, I, I mean, when I think too. of NASA, I always think, that's the first thing I think is is Florida. I think of Cape uh, Cape Canaveral. I think of, uh, we, we uh, my wife and I, uh, not my wife then yet, but um, we actually went, got up at, you know, crack of dawn and drove out to a highway. I can't remember which highway it was, pulled over with all the other Floridians and watched a rocket launch. Um, wow. And it was awesome. It was totally awesome. But I, I had no idea that there was a NASA, a NASA anything in Alabama. 
Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of great things in Alabama. And I mean, one thing that I think we forget, I, I think it's easy, especially for coastal people to fall into this trap to think, oh, if you're not on the coast, you're probably backwards and unsophisticated and right. you're not politically informed and yada, yada, yada. But sometimes coastal people, despite thinking that we are very sophisticated, are actually very provincial. Totally. A lot of people I know in New York City think that this little two-mile wide island of Manhattan is the whole universe and haven't actually seen much of the rest of the world. No. And it's really surprising to me sometimes how not sophisticated people on the coast can be. Yeah. Uh, they think they are, but oftentimes aren't. So, uh, Emily, it already sounds like you're already uh, miles ahead with sophistication, with your open mind and yeah. your willingness to embrace new opportunities and to go new places. So you're going to do great. I totally agree. Um, uh, Emily, like you, I am also from Southern California and spent my whole life there until I uh, went to college. Um, I'm from Long Beach, California. I don't know where you're from. Um, but I will say that uh, you probably have encountered you know, conservative opinions and uh, people in smaller towns. Um, you've probably, in, I mean, California is a weird place, right? It's a whole mix of <laughs> everything, right? You get outside of oh, yeah. Hollywood and suddenly, you know, 20 minutes away, you're kind of out in the sticks a little bit. It's like, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a mix of everything. I think you'll probably find that in the South too. I spent four years or so in Florida, partly in Fort Lauderdale, which is not what anyone would call the South, and partly in Orlando, which I guess is not what anyone would call the South either. But <laughs> it was Florida, and I did cover the state, and I traveled all over that state. So I, you know, I went to these, I went to little towns all over the place. We went on, you know, I went to Gainesville. I went to uh, Pensacola. I went to Apalachicola, uh, a town probably nobody has ever heard of. Um, <laughs> I went all over and I did do this uh, sort of the Southeast. I did do some stories on NASCAR in, um, in Alabama. I went to Birmingham and interviewed a 13 year old rising star race car driver. And my wife always says, my wife, who is a Bostonian and I think grew up in this very rarefied, uh, kind of liberal, somewhat posh uh, atmosphere, she has always said that she hopes that our kids will spend some time outside of the New York East Coast, West Coast bubble and get out and see the real world and see, you know, how the rest of the country lives and thinks and works and acts and, you know, not just sort of stay in their little, their little uh, isolated uh, town. So I think it's good. I think it's great that you're doing it. And I bet you it will be very rewarding. And I think you have an edge already being open and being apparently uh, quite accustomed to being in the minority and, and uh, having a, what sounds like a pretty good attitude about it. So I, I think you're going to do really well. Oh, yeah. You're an engineer who's going to be surrounded by other engineers, I'm presuming, and who um, True. are going to, more than anything, just be doing a job you're excited about with other people who are excited to do the same job. And it's going to be great. And there's going to be really fun things to discover there. Yeah. You may hear some different accents. You may have some different cuisine to eat. It's it's going to be a great, great time when you get there. I promise you. So, Kristen, what are you going to prescribe for quote unquote Emily? <laughs> right. Well, quote unquote Emily, I am going to prescribe one of my favorite movies that has ever taken place in Alabama. It's called My Cousin Vinny from oh, 1992. Of course, of course. <laughs> great movie. A per perennial, uh, endless classic. 
that movie. Oh, yes, absolutely. And this is the best fish-out-of-water movie that I can think of that takes place yeah. in Alabama. My Cousin Vinny is about two young New Yorkers traveling through rural Alabama. They're on their way to college out west. And they're arrested and put on trial for a murder they did not commit. Who do they call on to help them? Well, one of them has a cousin named Vinny Gambini. He only recently passed the bar exam after many, many, many unsuccessful attempts. And along for the ride is Vinny's girlfriend, Mona Lisa Vito. As the character names suggest, much of the film is about the culture clash between New York City Italian-Americans and small-town Alabama folks. Here's a clip. Mr. Tipton. When you viewed the defendants walking from their car into the sack of suds, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking toward me when they entered the store. And when they left, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking away from me. So would you say you got a better shot of them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible... The two Utes. Uh, uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say Utes? Yeah, two Utes. What is a Ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two Utes. This movie is just endlessly quotable. Everybody loves the, the climactic courtroom scene. With Marissa Tomei, uh, everybody just loves Joe Pesci as Vinny, uh, Fred Gwynn, right? As yes, uh, as, as the, the judge. judge. Oh man, so good. Oh, Fred Gwynn comes up a lot on this podcast. I noticed you and I just love him. I know. Why is that? It's so odd. <laughs> yeah, what a great movie! What a great movie. I also have to point out, not that this is pertinent to our Emily uh, here, but it also is celebrated by people in the legal world, by attorneys, by legal scholars all the time, because apparently this is the closest depiction to being accurate on film of what a courtroom is actually like and how trial strategy works. So if you're interested in that, it's also worth watching. But more than anything, the reason why I am recommending My Cousin Vinny is because I really think it shows the difference between what we see on the surface versus what's underneath the surface in all of us. Uh, you know, Vinny and Mona Lisa, they look like a stereotype of one thing on the surface, but there's so much more to them underneath things. And same with the people in the small town. Right. They roll into the small town and they think, oh, look at these backwater hicks. But there's more to them, too. Nobody is exactly what they are on the surface. And... Emily, I think you're going to do great because you already know that. You're going to look at people for more than what's on the surface. You're going to have a great time. You're going to get to know the locals. And I think that you are the perfect person for this job, and you're just going to kill it. We're, we're just cheering for you so hard, Emily. You're going to do great. Totally. I love that movie. I love that movie. Now, um, Rafer, I happen to know you chose a very, very, very different kind of movie. Yes. Tell us what it is. I chose Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri from 2017. (laughs) Kristen, you're shaking your head. You don't like this choice already. What's the matter with it? I don't think this would make anybody excited to move to the South. I just, (laughs) I don't know what you're thinking with this prescription draper. (laughs) (laughs) I want to move to this place where people get murdered and nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listen, I, I, I see your point. 
I see your point. Uh, but hear, hear me out. Um, so let me just give you the, 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 the quick rundown of the story. Uh, it takes place in a fictional small town of Ebbing. Uh, there's a woman named Mildred Hayes. She's played by Frances McDormand. And she is terrific in this, by the way. She's, uh, amazing. Uh, and as Kristen has pointed out, her daughter was recently raped and murdered, and the killer has not been found. <sighs> So Mildred, in frustration, does something uh, unheard of and a little upsetting for the town. She pays for these three giant billboards right on the main highway. One says, raped while dying. The other says, and still no arrests. And the third, most shockingly, says, how come, Chief Willoughby? Well, Chief Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson, does not take kindly to this. Seems a little unfair to him. At the same time, he understands Mildred's frustration. He's trying to maintain a good relationship with her. We do have some suspicions about maybe him and his role and what he knows. We're not quite sure. The real problem here is Officer Dixon, played by Sam Rockwell. Uh, Now, Dixon is a Mm. rabid, violent, ignorant racist and he makes it his mission to destroy everyone involved with those billboards, not just Mildred, but anyone, like the guy who painted them. And he starts to tear the town apart. And here's a clip. Hey, fuckhead! What? Don't say what, Dixon, when she comes in calling you a fuckhead? And don't you Shut come up. in here... You get over here. No. You get over here. All right. What? Don't, Dixon! What? I'm you do not allow a member of the public to call you a fuckhead in this station house. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking care of it in my own way, actually. Now, get out of my ass. Mrs. Hayes, have a seat. What is it I can do for you today? Where's Denise Watson? Denise Watson's in the clank. On what charge? Possession. Of what? Two marijuana cigarettes. Big ones. When's the bail hearing? I asked the judge not to give her bail. On account of her previous marijuana violations, and the judge said, sure. You fucking prick. You do not call an officer of law a fucking prick in his own station house, Mrs. Hayes. Or anywhere, actually. Was with a new attitude, Dixon. Your mama been coaching you. Rafer, I'm just going to reiterate. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri does not make me excited for the South. Okay, okay. I know what you're saying. Here is, here's my thinking. Um, first of all, we could have a, a, a brief taxonomical debate about whether or not Missouri is the South. I think that's a little bit open to interpretation. I think some people mm-hmm. would say yes, some people would say no. Um, I, think, I think it kind of goes either way in some ways. If you look at the history of Missouri, it's kind of complicated. Anyway, here is why I'm recommending this movie. I think what you get in this fictional town is kind of everybody. You get nice people, you get mean people, you get flaming, hideous racists like Sam Rockwell's character, you get people who aren't racist like Mildred, people who are kind, people who are good to their neighbors, you get people who kind of don't really give a shit about any of that stuff like Chief Willoughby. Um, Granted, people who don't give a shit about that kind of stuff tend to be white, but there you go. Mm -hmm. And I will say that, like, this movie is a little bit all over the map, it, 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 which is kind of a weakness and a strength. It, it kind of never goes where you think it's going to go. There is this central mystery. The characters don't always behave in the way that you're expecting, which uh, sometimes 
kind of makes you feel like I'm not quite sure what this movie is trying to say, but on the other hand, it's always surprising and and you're you're always you're always entertained and you're definitely taken along for a ride. But the thing about this movie is I think it shows you that this town is not all one thing. Yes, there is a prevailing culture, but that doesn't mean that everyone follows that culture to the letter. And I think even though there's conflict, even though there's bad behavior, I think that's what you're going to get in the South. You're going to get a lot of kind of everything, just like Kristen is saying. And look, if nothing else, uh, it's a great movie. Uh, uh, McDormand and Rockwell both got Oscars for their roles in this. Um, it's super entertaining, a very wild ride, and I like the movie. I'm just going to say I'm not a big fan of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Not Missouri. a big fan. Okay. Not a big fan, okay. but I can totally understand why you're prescribing it to our letter writer, Emily, here. It really does show uh, diversity of people who can be in a town, even if the town on the surface all just looks exactly the same. I think that's right. Okay. Thank you for being gracious, Christian. <laughs> but I don't like the movie. I, I believe that was hard for you. <laughs> it was. It was hard for me. <laughs> all right. So once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, the great My Cousin Vinny, and for me, the arguably pretty good three <laughs> billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristen.com, and fill out the contact form there. You do not have to use your real name. And while you're there, check out our prescription pad, where we list every movie and TV show we've ever prescribed on the show. All right, when we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who's mourning the fact that her soon-to-be-born baby won't be the baby she was hoping for. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. 
Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's triviality. We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, what does this letter have to say? All right. This letter is from someone who asked that we just use the initial M, M like Mary. M writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am in my late 30s and am now pregnant with my second child. I already have a beautiful seven-year-old boy. I did not realize how much I wanted a girl this time around until I found out I was having another boy at my 20-week ultrasound and suddenly had tears of disappointment in my eyes. The early part of my pregnancy was difficult, and I think I let myself get too attached to the possibility of having a girl in order to get through it. I feel real grief at the thought of never having a girl and a huge amount of guilt that I am not satisfied with the healthy baby who I know I will love dearly. Fortunately, my son is delighted to be getting a baby brother and my husband is very supportive. I'm trying to envision how wonderful it will be to have two sons. Can you recommend any movies or TV shows that show special relationships between a mother and son or between two brothers? Thank you so much. And P.S. If someone asks me in 20 years if I remember anything good about the pandemic, this podcast may be the only thing on my list. Oh, thank you, M. That's very sweet. Thank you so much. That is really sweet. Wow. Thank you. I've always felt that um, that we were uh, doing a, a good thing for people here, <laughs> and I, I think it, I think this has been uh, I think this has good, been a good thing for you and for me, and I think for our listeners. Oh, absolutely. I know it's been a good thing for me. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, Reefer, I just have to jump in here and say, you have two sons. Yes, indeed. And I have a wife who was also, like M, very sad when she found out that our second child was going to be a boy. Um, very much like M, she wanted a girl. And there was something about the fact that we both knew that this was going to be our, our last kid. We were only doing two. And that was it. And she really had to you know, wrap her head around the fact that she would never have a daughter. She would never have a girl. And she was going to be um, surrounded for the rest of her life by men. <laughs> um, and her other big worry was that, you know, oh, God, you know, a girl would call me when she goes to college. My mm -hmm. boys don't call their mothers. Um, and I told her they will call her because if they don't, I will make their lives hell. Yes. Um, Rafer, yes. I told her, yes. I said, I will fly out there and I will crash every college class, every party and every date they have and force them to call you. But, you know, we have now, we, our boys are now 13 and 11 and it's just, it's great. And they love each other. Yes, they fight. Yes, they're often uh, terrible to each other, but they also love each other and... It's been wonderful, and I don't think my wife has any regrets, and she loves them, and I think you will too. Um, you know, this is, I think this is a, a temporary thing, and it's a temporary emotion. Again, uh, my wife sort of had that emotion, felt it, worked through it, let it go, and now we've got these two great boys, and I can't, I can't imagine 
what it would be like otherwise. It's difficult to even imagine. I also wanted girls, by the way. I, I, I just thought, oh my God, give me a couple of girls because that way my wife can take care of literally everything that's problematic <laughs> and I can just be the dad. And I can just go, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. I, I have no idea. I'm just a supportive guy. Oh my God. But now I've got two boys, so it serves me right. <laughs> but listen, it's going to be fine. It is going to be fine. The, the, the relationship that, the, that those two kids will develop is going to be wonderful and interesting and uh, beautiful and its own thing. And uh, there will come a point where you can't imagine that you ever wanted it any other way. I promise you. Yes, absolutely. And I have a lot of friends who've gone through this too, who um, in most cases with most of my friends where they knew they were only going to be able to have one child. And so there wasn't a second chance and this is what we're getting. And they had to mourn any of their expectations. And one thing that a lot of them came to terms with was their expectations were often just based on their own prejudices. Like what you were saying about your wife, oh no, if I have a boy, the boy will never call me. Right. And it's like, that's just based on a certain perception you have in your mind totally. that isn't necessarily true at all. Um, so sometimes the things that we're mourning are preconceived notions about what gender is and so on. And let's not forget, gender is a little bit more flexible than I think we all believe. Sure. And so are gendered behaviors. So, you know, regardless of what the sex organs are of your baby, your baby can grow up to be so many different things. And I agree with you, Rafer, no matter what, you're going to love them. And eventually you'll not be able to imagine it any other way. And it'll be beautiful. I completely agree. Um, So, Kristen, what's your prescription? All right. I am going to prescribe an old favorite, a cult favorite of Gen X called The Adventures of Pete and Pete, which ran on Nickelodeon from 1993 to 1996. Rafer, do you know the show? I know this show only from its title. Um, I never watched this show. I think I was too old uh, to have watched it at the time. I, I, I always thought of it as a kid's show. It was always billed as a kid's show, but I always kind of thought of it as the kid's show that was made for Gen X adults. The music was by Polaris. Oh. The jokes were really quirky and weird. Uh I don't even know how a kid would like this show, to be honest with you. It really just felt like it was about kids, but it was for adults. Now, if you're not familiar with it, The Adventures of Pete and Pete centers on two brothers, both named Pete, but referred to as Big Pete and Little Pete. The brothers are best friends who have an offbeat, kind of funny worldview. They live in an imaginary small town called Westville, and all sorts of surreal things take place around them all the time. And Big Pete serves as kind of the voice of reason in this world. And, you know, he interprets the odd people around him. He's always level-headed. Meanwhile, younger brother Little Pete is kind of irrational. And notably, Little Pete has a tattoo of a woman in a red dress on his forearm named Petunia. What? Who he makes dance by flexing his arm. I mean, it's a really weird, quirky show. How old is Little Pete? Oh, I don't know. Nine or ten? (laughs) <laughs> That's very odd. Yeah. Okay, It has all sorts of odd touches like that. And uh, notably, Petunia, you find out at a certain point, was a tattoo he got to honor his mother because he loves his mom so much. Ah. Here's a clip. I'm Pete. And this is my brother, Pete. And this is all that's left of our summer vacation. 653 photos developed for free at the Quick Pick photo booth where my friend Ellen worked all summer. Where should I start? I know. Check this out. 
It's Pete and his best friend Mort Mortensen, greasing the turf on blocks of ice. Mort shaves off all his body hair to cut down on wind resistance, but Pete still beats him every year. Eat my turf, Chrome Dome! It's one of the surefire signs that summer has begun. The idea of two brothers named Pete reminds me of that uh, Dr. Seuss uh, poem about the woman who had 26 sons and named them all Dave. Oh, my gosh. I don't know that poem. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's one, of, it's, one of our, it's one of our favorites. Because now when she, whenever she says, Yoo-hoo, come into the house, Dave, all 26 kids come running into the house and trample her. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just, it, it, you're, this, this made me think of that. But, uh, but yeah, this sounds like a really, a really charming show that I, I, I never would have uh, remembered. I don't think I ever would have conjured that up in my memory. Oh, yeah. It's delightful. It's charming. It's utterly weird. But what I love about Pete and Pete isn't just, you know, the weird worldview, because it really is weird. But these two characters underneath all the quirkiness are just really kind, delightful brothers. They always have each other's backs. They clearly love each other dearly. They uh, are the kinds of uh, boys that hopefully you'll grow up having someday, Em. Two boys who make you happy, who make you smile, who support each other fully. And, you know, I, I just think they will be a good inspiration for you of what could be. Of course, your sons are going to be whatever they want to be. They aren't necessarily going to be Pete and Pete. Uh, they may fight a lot. They may have more squabbles than Pete and Pete do. But regardless, they're going to have something special that I think will make you grateful that they're yours and that they are who they are and that they're not anybody else. I just want to add for our listener, M. yes, do be prepared for squabbles. <laughs> But that happens with any siblings. I'll say that. Of course. Regardless of of whether they're boys, girls, or something else, kids just squabble. That's just the way kids are, right? (laughs) Okay. And so this is is clearly a family-friendly show. It is. It is. And I think if you and Anne watch it, it's currently on Amazon Prime at the point of this taping. Um, I think you and Anne will see different things than your kids will see. And you and Anne will enjoy it as only Gen X adults will. And your kids will just think, oh, these brothers are like us. Good. Okay. Anne was making yes. fun of me because she, uh, my wife, uh, uh, who listens to this podcast, uh, was making fun of me because we mentioned uh, Kevin can F himself on, on a recent <laughs> show. And I, I, apparently I asked whether or not it was kid friendly. And Anne was like, it's got F in the title. Why did you ask that? You're an idiot. Um, but this sounds, this sounds clearly Nickelodeon. That's got to be a kid friendly. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yes. But Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe M? Okay. I am going to prescribe a pretty famous movie that in some ways I'm kind of uh, surprised that we haven't recommended before. I'm prescribing Rain Man from 1988. Oh, yes. Of course, the great Dustin Hoffman. And I have to say in this movie, the even greater Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is so good in this movie. He's so good. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, Yeah, this was the big movie of the year in 1988. I mean, it was a massive hit. Uh, Right. So here's the story. Tom Cruise uh, plays this young guy named Charlie Babbitt. And when we first meet him, he's um, doing this kind of semi-criminal, semi-illegal wheeling and dealing kind of stuff. Well, he's literally wheeling. He's selling expensive sports cars on this sort of 
black slash gray market, uh, you know, doing some weird paperwork. So he's kind of a grifter. Uh, so Charlie's father dies, and the two of them were never close. Um, so Charlie is not exactly uh, upset about this, but he is hoping to get three million bucks from his dad's estate, which would be very handy. And he thinks this is a sure thing because who else would it go to? Charlie's the only one around. Um, instead, he gets his dad's classic car, very nice Buick Roadmaster from 1949, handsome. Uh, that's fine, but where's the three million bucks? Turns out it's going to somebody else. But who? So Charlie does a little uh, investigating, a little uh, manipulating, and discovers that it's going to an institution, and it's going to pay for the care of an older man named Raymond. This is Dustin Hoffman's character. Raymond lives in the institution. He can't go out. He's uh, he's autistic. He's got OCD. He's socially awkward. He's uh, actually is like socially impossible. He seems very childlike. Like he's got the mind of maybe a six-year-old, seven-year-old, maybe. And Raymond, it turns out, is Charlie's older brother, of whom Charlie had no knowledge at all. So Charlie doesn't really have much use for this kind of person, but he figures, hey, if he gets custody, maybe he can get the money. And then Charlie discovers that Raymond is also a savant. He's got a superb memory, like a, like a computer mainframe memory. He can remember almost literally everything. And Charlie gets the bright idea to take Raymond to a casino where he will count cards and make Charlie rich. And here's a clip. Stop it. Good morning. Coffee? Yes, very good. Sally Gibbs, Gibbs Sally. 4610-0192. How did you know my phone number? How'd you know that? She said read the telephone book last night. Gibbs Sally, 4610-0192. He uh, remembers things, little things sometimes. Very clever, boys. I'll be right back. How'd you do that? How'd you do that? I don't know. You memorize the whole book? No. You start from the beginning? Yeah. How far did you get? G. G? G. God's sake. William Marsh. God's sake. You memorized to G? Yeah, G. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. G. Half a G. That's good, Ray. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Ugh, Rafer. I saw this movie in the theater as a kid. I was a third wheel with my Nana and her boyfriend at the time. And I remember oh. when we stepped out of that movie just thinking that was superb. And I was a kid at the time, but I still thought that was unbelievable. And I already hinted yeah. at this before, but all of the accolades were going to Dustin Hoffman. But in my mind, I really thought Tom Cruise was outstanding. And I've since watched the film again as an adult. And I stand by that assessment. I think Tom Cruise is so good in this movie. He's so good. I totally agree. Uh, it was a little bit of a shocker at the time that he didn't win anything. Yeah. Um, uh, Dustin Hoffman got the Oscar. Uh, Barry Levinson, the director, the guy who did Diner, um, he got the uh, Oscar for directing uh, it got an Oscar for the screenplay, and it got an Oscar for Best Picture. Um, but Tom Cruise, nothing. But it is a great, uh, it is a great performance, and he's not playing. He's not playing the usual Tom Cruise, cocky young, uh, you know, pilot slash race car driver slash bartender. <laughs> he's uh, he's not a nice guy. He's he's a cad. He's selfish. He's basically a a thief and a con artist. He's not nice to his girlfriend. He's not nice to Raymond, his brother. He's an a hole. Mm -hmm. um, but. This is a transformation story. And uh, as the movie goes on, we watch Charlie be transformed by Raymond. And I think that transformation, I don't want to spoil the 
emotional reveal mm-hmm. that is at the center of this movie. It's a very, very powerful scene, very touching scene. But this transformation is about the power, I think, of brotherly love. And you might say, oh, it's a bit of a fairy tale to strangers, you know, who come together in adulthood and they're brothers and not all brothers end up being close. But what I like about Rain Man, it has a a kind of a faith in magic. Mm. There's something magic about the connection that these two once had in a long distant childhood, now forgotten, but that connection still can't be broken even after years, even after decades, even after one of them has turned into a bad person. That brotherly bond wins out in the end. And it's very, very it's very moving and it's it really it it's I I'm gonna sound like the corniest uh critic trying to get my quote on the poster or something, but um it really kind of restores your faith in humanity. It it kind of makes yeah. you kind of like <laughs> makes you believe in, in good again. It's a great movie, and like Kristen says, it is it is just it is just superb. It is a great movie, Rafer. And I love that recommendation. I love what's at the heart of why you're prescribing it and that magic and that special thing that brothers have for each other or brothers can have for each other. And they certainly do in this movie. So uh, I think that's a great prescription, Rafer. All right, good. Then I think we've got two winners from me, Rain Man, and from Kristen, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. All right, we're going to take another quick break. But before we do, thank you to everyone who's reviewed and rated us with five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Counter Crazy recently gave us five stars and wrote, I stumbled upon this podcast and I'm glad I did. The hosts have just the right amount of humor, banter, and great suggestions. The movies and TV shows they have introduced me to have entertained and enlightened me. I'm so glad to hear that. That is what we're here for. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much. Counter crazy. Interesting. Counter name. crazy. Does that mean you're sane? Oh. Just, a, just a question. Just a question. Just oh. asking. Oh, I thought maybe they worked at a diner. They're behind the counter. <laughs> I, think I don't know. Probably, I think that's probably what it is. Or a barista or something, <laughs> maybe, right? That's probably what it is. <laughs> All right. Stay with us. When we're back, we have our What Should I Watch next letter of the week. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back, everybody, with our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Rafer, take it away. Okay, this one comes from Dave. Dave says, I'm a big fan of superhero and sci-fi movies, while my wife is into more realistic dramas and British detective shows. It's not often we find a show we both like, but the Norwegian fantasy drama Ragnarok, which reimagines the Norse mythology stories of Thor and Loki, had us both glued to the TV. We're hoping there are other movies or TV shows out there that meld our preferences as well as Ragnarok. What should we watch next? Ooh, I love the questions that try to meld two different genres. Um, just a note to our letter writer earlier, M, don't watch 
Ragnarok if you want to see brotherly love. Don't watch that. <laughs> yeah, right. I can imagine. <laughs> Loki is the worst. He's terrible. <laughs> I don't know much about uh, this show. I, I had to look it up. I'd never heard of it. Um, I, 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 it seems like the reviews were good, but apparently it, it caused some, some controversy in Norway. Um, really? I, appar- apparently, <laughs> I love this. Apparently, the Norwegian critics felt that it was more of a Danish show. <laughs> and, I, and I thought... <laughs> I thought, you guys, that is a hair I just can't split. I'm sorry. I, that Norwegian versus Danish, I'm sorry. Uh, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't tell the difference. Wow. I, I have no idea. I mean, I grew up in a very Scandinavian part of the Midwest. And I'll just say That's right. Loki was our school mascot. Norse mythology was... Really? Mm-hmm, yep. Norse mythology was a big part of our culture. Um, but... Uh, I, I honestly couldn't tell you the difference between Danish and Norwegian anything. I, I couldn't. I'm sorry. I, I feel like I'm betraying my Midwest roots by saying that, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. Talk about provincial Americans. <laughs> I know. Okay. Boy. Well, I will say this, though, about Ragnarok. I did watch some of it with my husband, who's a huge fan of the show. Oh, okay. And yeah, they do a really good job of, you know, having that kind of moody British detective feel to it, as well as the family drama feel to it, Interesting. along with some of that superhero stuff. So uh, I, I do think they do a good job of melting all those things. I think they really do. Very interesting. Okay. Well, maybe I'll try to check that one out. But Rafer, what are you going to prescribe here to Dave to watch next? Well, Kristen, I'm very nervous about recommending this movie. I don't, I'm not fully confident in my choice here, but I'm just going to go ahead and recommend it. It's a movie from 1991 called The Rapture. Do you know it? Is that, if if I'm remembering correctly, is that the movie where people, like, ascend to heaven? Well, it is about, it is about the rapture. Um, it, uh, like I say, it came out in 1991 and just sank like a stone. Nobody saw it, even though it had Mimi Rogers, who at the time was, uh, you know, kind of a... Was huge. Yeah, she was, she was, a, she was you know, kind of a star. Just to link it back to the last prescription, Rafer, also known as Tom Cruise's ex-wife. That's yes. right. That's exactly yes. right. Um, I think she was an ex by then. Um, well, so I, I, this is a very heavy movie. This is why I hesitate to recommend it. And I, I, I actually might say... I'm a fan of heavy movies, as you know, Kristen. Mm-hmm. I think it might be the heaviest movie, period. Oh, my God. That is why. How do you ascend to heaven if you weigh as much as a boulder? All right. How do you do this? <laughs> okay. Now, let me, let, me, let me tell you the story. It's about a woman named Sharon. That's, that's the Mimi Rogers character. Uh, she lives in L.A. She's single. She works as a 411 operator. Remember those? Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, they still have them, apparently. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she works as a 411 operator, and she's kind of a lost soul. She doesn't really have much in her life except for... She sort of lives a life of pleasure. Recreational drugs, group sex, no real relationships. But she starts having this recurring dream, and this is where things get a little fantastic, maybe a little bit paranormal. A, very, uh, a recurring dream, very simple. It's just a big, beautiful pearl floating in a void. That's it. And then she starts to overhear some co-workers uh, whispering one day. Apparently, they've had the same dream. And this dream means that the rapture is coming. They formed uh, a Christian sect. Some would call it a cult. And they've even found a prophet. It's a young black kid known only as the boy. And he's the one who has told them that the end is coming and they must prepare. 
And Sharon thinks this is all a bunch of crap. But because her life is so empty and so hollow, uh, one night she reaches out to God. She cries out to God and she is answered and she becomes a Christian and she joins the cult. And here's a clip. I heard someone talking about the boy. Who's the boy? Some people say that he's a prophet. Some people say there's others like him all around the country. All around the world. What is that? Don't you know what's going on? What? The dream. The pearl. If everybody's getting this dream, how come it isn't on the news? Those who need to know, know. Those who don't believe won't get the dream. The world's a disaster. We have no power to make it better. There has to be something more. Let me help you. Something's going on. You've changed. I tell you, you're not going to believe me. Ooh, it's kind of sci-fi, but it's kind of drama. It's kind of uh, supernatural. Uh, so it seems like it has a lot of the things Dave's asking for. This is why this is why I recommend it. Um, the The writer and director of this is Michael Tolkien, um, who is a, a really deep thinking guy. He did the uh, the player. Uh, uh, mostly, he's mostly a screenwriter. He did The Player, The Game with Michael Douglas. Uh, he co-wrote Changing Lanes, one of my favorite movies. And he's done other, like, just kind of paycheck work, like thrillers and action movies. He Apparently he wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake, which I didn't know. <laughs> um, but to me, this movie is his masterpiece. And I'm just not going to say anything more about what happens. The best way to go into this movie is to go in cold. Um, it is, it is extremely realistic and yet also something like supernatural and i've never really seen anything quite like it i just i want to say again this movie is is heavy this movie makes mm. ingmar bergman look like adam sandler it is like <laughs> the, the things that happen to people the things they do um its view of the world and humanity and god it's it's pretty deep i am fully prepared for absolutely nobody to take me up on this recommendation. No one saw it when it came out. But I, I do try to promote this movie any chance I get. The movie had its fans. Roger Ebert gave it four stars out of four. I would do the same. Mm. I recommend it knowing full well that it will probably fall on deaf ears. But there you go. The Rapture. Excellent. Excellent, Rafer. So You're I, enticing me to see it. Well, um, I'll be surprised if you do. <laughs> <laughs> but Kristen, I'm going to depend on you for something maybe a little more lighthearted, maybe a little more on point, maybe for what Dave is looking for? I hope it works for you, Dave. I am I am going to prescribe you a movie called Fast Color from 2018. Do you know Fast Color, Rafer? Fast Color? Yes. Fast no, I'm color. thinking of Upstream Color. What is Fast Color? Oh. I don't know that movie. Oh, I've never heard of Upstream Color. I don't know that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shane, uh, oh, I can't remember the di- the director's name. Any, yeah, uh, also a super bizarre movie. But anyway, t- uh, tell, tell me about Fast Color. All right. Well, Fast Color is a sci-fi drama that takes place in the future American Midwest. And in this version of the world, it has not rained for eight years. The movie centers on Ruth, played by one of my very favorite actors, Gugu Mbatha-Raw. Oh, yeah. And her seizures trigger supernatural earthquakes. 
Ruth is on the run from law enforcement and scientists who want to study and control her. Eventually, she lands back at her mother's house, where she's also reunited with her daughter, who her mother has been caring for. And from there, things get really interesting. Here's a clip. Oh, so there's cardboard in the shed. And I should probably vacuum, too. What if... Instead of cardboard, you tried to put the glass back. It won't work. Why not at least try? <laughs> because if something's broken, it stays. This isn't going to work. But what if it did? I've seen this movie or not. I'm thinking of maybe like it. The, the, from what you're describing, it sounds a little bit maybe like Midnight Special with uh, Michael oh. Shannon, where it Midnight. I remember Midnight Special? Midnight Special. This might that might actually be another movie that our listener might enjoy. It's a little. It's basically a version of Firestarter. It's a guy who's got a kid who has supernatural powers. The government is, is after them, and he's all, sort of living on, the, living on the lamb, the two of them on the run all over the country, being chased because they want to harness this kid's superpowers. Ooh, I don't know that movie. Yeah, it was, it was, I was not a huge fan of it, but it got great reviews. Um, Michael mm. Shannon is great, of course. But, but anyway, oh, yeah, he is. so this does sound... Um, like maybe it's more up Dave's alley. This sounds this sounds like maybe it's what he's looking for. Yeah, and I will say this: I would not personally refer to Fast Color as a superhero movie, but that's kind of how it billed itself. Huh. And the reason I wouldn't bill it as a superhero movie is because the drama is so well written, the characters are so well written, everybody huh. is so fully fleshed out, the dynamics, uh, the interpersonal relationships, they're really beautifully written. And it's just a gorgeous film with great art direction and cinematography. And so I, as not really a superhero fan, went into this movie and just was dazzled. I loved it. I no loved kidding. the characters so much. The characters are just wonderful. And I don't always feel that way with superhero movies. I'll be honest with you. A lot of the no, time, the characters I... just feel like hollow shells of, you know... I, I'm wearing a spandex outfit, and I'm supposedly saving people. But Fast Color, the characters are so much more than that. They have backstories. They have history. They have passions. They have conflicts. And it's just a really great film, Fast Color. It's 2018. That's not even that long ago. Um, I, I guess no, just passed me no. by, but I'll, um, I'll try to check it out. That sounds good. Yeah, definitely check it out, Rafer. All right. So once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, Fast Color, and from me, The Rapture. And folks... That's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Wow, that sped right by. It sure did. It always goes by so fast. But thank you, everybody who wrote in this week. And thanks also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we're proudly a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and Ben Franklin's World. 
Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.